Sepsis, or the infection causing sepsis, starts before a patient goes to the hospital in nearly 87% of cases. Sepsis is a medical emergency. If you or your loved one has an infection that's not getting better or is getting worse, act fast. Get medical care immediately. Ask your healthcare professional, could this infection be leading to sepsis? And if you should go to the emergency room, learn more at cdc.gov sepsis. I want to take a moment and thank everyone who is a patron over at patreon.com slash major spoilers. I know things are kind of crazy right now, um, but uh, we're here to bring you quality. Well, we're here to bring you entertainment. Well, we're here to bring you shows week after week after week. <laughs> and we hope that our conversations about ridiculous things in pop culture uh, kind of uh, kind of keep the darkness away from you for a while. So I wanted to thank everyone who is a patron at the patreon.com slash major spoilers. And it's because of them that those of you who cannot become patrons at this time, it's why we're able to still keep our lights on and keep that darkness at bay. And so this show goes out to all of our patrons over there at patreon.com slash major spoilers. The major spoilers podcast covers news reviews, and of course spoilers and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven. And you're listening to the major spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, the name Spoilers, Major Spoilers, podcast. And we're ready to weigh in on the world's greatest spy who isn't named Peel or Fury. Big changes in the comics industry, a new semester at Shujin Academy, strange doings in Greendale Plus, hot ride-sharing action. It's all about the Benjamins, baby, so set up Spock and Parker and Grimm and prepare to ante up for a game of cards, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 871 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and checking us out this week. We're definitely going to be talking about James Bond. Not James Bond the movie, because that's been delayed. But we'll right. definitely be talking about James Bond later in the episode. You're going to want to stick around for that. But first, let us get to some news. We have three items on the list this week. We have the Goof Troop and the Goofy Movie are now part of the DuckTales universe. Generation Ooh. 5 is on indefinite pause, and all the DC comics are up on the auction block. Let's spin that wheel of destiny and let's see where we land. Here's an interesting story. Here's an interesting story, Matthew, that you might be interested in if you could afford it. Mm -hmm. The complete run, 40,000 plus DC Comics, every DC comic published from 1934 until 2014 are currently on the auction block at Sotheby's. This is the Ian Levine or Ian Levine collection. He's a record producer who sold technically sold his collection back in 2011, no, 2014. Um, but uh, for about 20 years, spent all of his extra time tracking down every single DC comic ever printed. New fun number one? New fun number one is in there. Wow. This Bob has, Hope, number This 100? has Bob Hope in there as well. Oh, this, my God. If DC published it, he has it in this collection. The green team? The green team is in there. Oh, my God. It is an amazing collection. Uh, if anybody out there has read the 75 years of DC Comics, the Paul Levitz um, three-volume tome that's over like 20,000 pages just by itself, um, most of the cover images used in that book come from 
Levine's collection. I'm going to say uh, Levine. Is it, you think it's Levine or Levine? I'd say Levine. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I think that's pretty amazing. Um, would you guys, if you could, buy this collection? I mean, if you could. And I'll talk about why you probably can't here in just a minute. I mean, along with if I could, does that include if I lived in a place that could house this many comics? Yeah. Uh, then, yeah, maybe. Okay. Maybe. I have 40,000 comics and I do not recommend it. Yeah, so do I. And you don't want to keep it in the basement. Let me tell you what. Oof. A- Ashley, if you could buy the entirety of DC Comics, would you do it? I mean, we're talking about Detective Comics 27, Action Comics number one, uh, the first appearance of the Justice League, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Yeah, but most importantly, all the issues that Dick Grayson is naked in. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah, I would, if I were like Ben Affleck, who will probably buy this, I would totally buy it because I could pick out everything that Jason and I wanted, and then I'd have gifts for Pretty much everyone I know until the end of time. Now, that's the interesting thing about this auction. This auction is being sold as a solid block. They're not breaking these up as individual issues. If you want to buy into this, you got to buy the entire collection. You just can't say, oh, I want Action Comics. Give me that. You have to buy the entire thing. Now, I don't know what grade quality these comics are, because that certainly does affect the price. But even a a bunch that are like reading copies. But for a lot of people, that's fine. But even... Even a crappy com- uh, copy of Action Comics number one is going to sell for a couple of million dollars in 2014. I mean, aren't they all crappy comics? Well, I mean, mm. some like a, of them like are... A, like, a, like a two, a two eight? Is that the best yeah, you can hope for for an Action one? I don't know what... No, I think there was a 1.9 that sold a couple of years ago. Wow. Uh, but in 2014, Action Comics number one sold for $3.2 million. Uh, in 2010, Detective Comics number 27 sold for $1.075 million. So I guess the question is, what do you think this collection is worth? What do you think someone is is going to offer and pay for this collection? I'm going to say seven figures, but I'm not sure how high. Because give, again, give it's going to depend a lot on, I'll say two million. Oh, really? Um, that low? It, it's going to depend on the quality of what you're looking at. And I feel like, um, as often can happen with you know a massive lot, I feel like, yeah, it is going to sell lower than someone selling you, you know, a three not three dot nine copy of Action Comics number one. I want to say that there is a CGC nine dot Action Comics number one in existence in the universe, but I don't. But that know. one's probably heavily repaired and bleached and all that stuff. Well, I mean, that's the thing when you're dealing with Golden Age comics, repairs don't necessarily carry the same, you know, weight as they would in terms of grading. Um, But yeah, I'm going to I'm going to go with two million because you're looking at a lot of things. You know, you're going to get Action Comics number one. Yes. You're also going to get Action Comics number 245. You remember what happened in that? Nope. Nothing. But I think that's 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 kind of the point is, you know, and I kind of have this um, obsessive desire to be. Uh, a completist, you know, and, and I think some people that maybe you're maybe a little bit that way, Rodrigo, when you play Magic the Gathering, that you have to go and chase these cards or certain things. But I think this is definitely somebody who wants to say, I own the Ian Levine collection. I own every single comic that DC put out up until 2014. And now I'm going to spend the next five years trying to collect everything between 2014 and and today. Um, I just think that there's somebody out there who's going to do it. My guess is... The starting price 
the starting bid has to be $10 million. Rodrigo, what are your thoughts? What's the starting bid on this? The starting bid, I would put it somewhere around $10 million, maybe higher than that. I mean, you got to consider that, yes, um, if you add up all the individual comics, it probably isn't going to be much more than, you know, five million probably Mm -hmm. because once you get past those golden age things you're dealing with like 60 dollar comics and 20 dollar comics and 10 dollar comics and a couple hundred dollar comics but it it just drops so rapidly um so what you're buying here is yes that handful those handful of comics that are worth a lot of money but you're also buying the prestige of the collection Mm -hmm. you are buying a collection with a name. You're buying every comic that came out between this year and this year. And the ability to display them, the ability to charge people to see them, the ability to have them have that as a lower third when the local news interviews you. So that does increase the, the value of it. Ashley, what, what, is your, what is your starting bid on this? What do you think the starting bid will be for this collection? I think realistically setting it somewhere between 10 and 20 million, um, I think would entice a lot of people who have that kind of capital to spend. Mm -hmm. Now it's interesting because no, but I don't know. I think it'll sell for a lot higher than that. Oh yeah. 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 I'm just saying starting bid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really see this as something could be 20, 30 million by the time it's done. I guess the funny thing, Matthew, you said, um, uh, Batman would be able to, uh, probably buy this buy this collection. What what about Ghost Rider? Do you think Ghost Rider has enough funds to to buy this collection? He's no, a huge comic book fan. That's why he did Ghost Rider. I know, right? Yeah. That's why he had to sell his <laughs> copy of Action his Comics. comics yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, maybe maybe uh, you Ghost know that Rider color the color out of space just came out. Maybe he's got money again. Oh, that's true. Maybe that's why he did it. He yeah. Anticipated this. And that does bring me to the next thing. Oh, what a horrible time to be launching an auction for the entirety of DC Boy, Comics. Boy, howdy. Now, yeah. that being said, my guess is that this is something that's been in the works for a while because they do have a really nice catalog that you can go find at the Sotheby's uh, website and that um, that you can download and check out and, and read through. So this isn't something that was put up overnight. Somebody's desperately called and said, oh, my God, you know, two weeks ago, stock market's crashing. I have to sell all of my comics. This is something that's probably been, especially with Sotheby's, probably been in the works for a couple of months trying to get it put together and making sure that they kind of knew what was there and fact checking and making sure that it is everything that, that the company has published. So I don't feel like this is a spur of the moment thing, but oh my gosh, what a horrible time to be launching that. Or mm. is it Matthew? Um, it kind of depends on how you look at it. I mean, looking at the catalog, they're not just talking about books. They're mm-hmm. also talking about, uh, Ashcan issues, yep, which were uh, to establish copyright. Oh, so if they're Ashcans, interesting. Involved, yep, as well as it looks like some foreign reprints, some special uh, issues, uh, and interesting promotional comics, which might be, you know, might have that uh, team up of Superman and Jared from Subway. Which you know, that's Ooh. I mean, that's something. That's a that's a comic. Just looking at it, I, I can't see if it's telling me the grade on these no, books. No, I, I couldn't see any the, grade numbers. Looking at the copy of the action number one, uh, I mean, I can't open it, but no. unless they've color corrected it, it could be a five, yeah. could be a four. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're I mean, looking it's not, good. It's it looks not like a crap. the sensation. 
Sensation it's, number one has some tape on it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely not going to be every DC comic in mint condition. No, 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 no. But they have an Action 14 in here that looks as good as any Action 14 I've ever touched, mm-hmm. like which I is said, to say if, that I once touched an Action 14. Like I said, if you have ever read that Paul Levitt's book, or three books, depending on how you bought the collection, um, right. most of those pictures in there came from this collection. And that's the thing. I feel like for a number of reasons, uh, partly because of the fact that if you've got an Action 1 and a detection, Detective 27 and the complete run of All-Star Comics and a Sensation 1, people are going to say, yeah, but what kind of, you know, what condition are they in? Are you buying this as a completist? And the person who's going to buy this is going to be either the completist who wants it or, you know, your Chuck Rosanskis of the world who want to piecemeal the Levine, you know, pedigree collection out to people. And I feel like either way, those people are not going to be paying, you know, we're looking at 40,000 comics granted, but I don't know if these people are going to be paying the 3.2 million, the 2.1 million that you're getting for individual issues in high grades. So again, I, I hope I'm wrong. I, it'd be nice to see somebody get 10, 12, 15 million out of this, but I think the most fascinating part is going and looking and seeing what every DC comic actually means. You know, does it mean, do they have the super dictionary? Do they have the super a comics that SRA put out in the seventies? It seems to indicate. Yes. Do they have a complete run of young heroes in love? The greatest series DC oh, ever presented. If it ran up until yes. 2014, I'm, I'm guessing it is yes for all of those things. Now, yeah. speaking of uh, uh, just walking in to see what condition your condition is in, um, here's the weird thing. R. You R. would P. think, yeah. you would think right now would be a horrible time. Was Kenny Rogers in uh, first edition when that song came out? Yeah, he's the lead singer. Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Anyway, mm-hmm. tying it all together. You would think now would be a horrible time for people to be get into collectibles and these kinds of auctions, especially these large auctions. But here's some anecdotal evidence that that may not be the case. Heritage mm-hmm. Auctions, who we talk about a lot on the Major Spoilers website, said that, uh, quote, we have also seen a significant uptick in bidding activity, website visitors, and prices realized in recent weeks. The trends are based on the 10 to 15 auctions per week that Heritage runs. Each has seen unusually strong results, significantly exceeding expectations that were set before this troubled uh, this troubled present. And they're saying that perhaps this is due because more people are at home, surfing the web, people are looking at alternatives for investment um, opportunities, and Heritage just doesn't do comic book auctions. They're right now uh, running um, a music auction that just happened this weekend. They had a um, actual photon torpedo, life-size film-used photon torpedo from Generations, Ashley, uh, mm-hmm. that when I looked at it on Saturday was only $300. Generations is very bad. Yeah. Hey. Um, the last time I saw it in cinemas, I fell asleep. Yeah. But I mean, you, can, you could own a screen. It is lovely. A screen <laughs> used photon torpedo, and people are going to bid on that. So maybe this isn't a horrible time to try to sell your entire DC collection, especially if it's going to grow in price, if it grows in price. And the trend has been that these comics do grow in price, especially these golden age comics. So there you go. Uh, Any other thoughts about this? You're also going to have a complete run of all-star Batman, which Eh, I mean, that'll get you run out of the really good schools. Could be worse. Could be worse. Hey, listen, listeners, we want you to join in the conversation about these stories and more. Head over to our Discord server. 
You can join the Major Spoilers Discord server for free or link your Patreon account to Discord and get access to even more features and super secret channels like the Dueling Review Live channel where Matthew and I record Dueling Review live Thursday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. And I know what you're saying. Aren't there not supposed to be comics coming out right now? Oh, we've got comics to talk about. And if we don't have comics, oh, we've got something special in store. This week we definitely have a comic. But what about next week? Oh, you're just going to have to tune in and find out because I think you're going to have a lot of fun if we're able to do this. So find out more. (laughs) Patreon.com slash Major Spoilers and then Discord. No, Matthew and I have been planning this for a couple weeks going, okay, just in case there are no new comics next week. Here's what That's we're right. going to do. And we've got it tested. we got it all worked out. Everything's going to be cool. But then every week, either Xenoscope or an Action Lab Entertainment or a DC has some new comic that is coming out and hitting the Comixology website. So speaking of uh, those publishers and digital comics, we spent a good 20 minutes talking about Diamond and the state of the comic book industry in this week's pre-show. You can go check that out at patreon.com slash major spoilers as well. And again... No comics coming out, yet we do have a lot of reviews. Coming out last week from Comixology, a Comixology original, a $6.99 cover price, currently at $0.99 cents because Chip Zdarsky said, hey, you guys, um, go out there and buy, buy this comic. Get out there and read something that's new and different. And Afterlift is definitely a different comic. I was not expecting this because, turns out, this is a comic uh, that's uh, kind of steeped in a lot of religion. Uh, here we have a... Uh, Janice, who is uh, Asian, uh, she has an uh, Asian family, and her parents, uh, she's lost a sister, and that caused her parents to kind of go into two different directions, uh, away from their Buddhist heritage, one into a uh, one into a Christian belief system that is all about give me money so that you can uh, be saved, and the other one getting into some just really uh, very conservative Christian values, and she isn't able to deal with that, uh, but she is being... Um, a good uh, contributor to the gig economy. She is driving for one of those uh, car companies that you, uh, you have the app and say, please pick me up and take me somewhere. And so she's willing to do that to make her living and to get her, get away in the world and figure out what she wants to do until one day she picks up a passenger who happens to be bringing a dead girl with him. And not just a dead girl, like in weekend at Bernie's. no, her car has now been, thanks to this passenger, magically imbued to be a chariot to take the dead to the river sticks and take them into the afterlife. And this is where things get really weird because there's demons, there's angels, there's visits to purgatory. This book is kind of like, what was that Robin Williams movie where he had to go after his uh, wife and everything was a painting? What, what dreams, dreams may come. May what come. Dr- this is if what dreams may come smashed headfirst into Too Fast, Too Furious, or into the into that franchise. Because three there's, Fast, Three Furious. Because there is a lot of car driving, there's a lot of car chases in this thing, and um, at the end, uh, Janice may or may not meet, uh, may not meet uh, God, Big G or Little G, depending on how you want to look at this. It is, it's crazy in a way that works, and for those people who really know me, you know that I'm not a religious person. And this this book probably would have set me off in the number of ways that it, I don't know. I'm not going to get into that part. But I will say this. It was very well done. Um, I, I don't agree with all of the messaging that's going on in the book. It is kind of preachy. Um, but who doesn't love a good versus evil storyline? And that's kind of what this ultimately boils down to is good versus evil and somebody coming over, overcoming their past uh, turmoils to try to be a better person. What does it mean to really sacrifice 
uh, for something. And that's what this mo- uh, this book boils down to. Jason Liu's art is really good because he has to draw cars. Well, he has to draw a car, but a lot of cars through most of this book. And the cars look good. They look like cars. They don't look like, uh, you know, 1975 or 77 sedans uh, that are that still populate so many comic books. No, these are modern cars and does a very good job at that. The art is, like I said, very good car rendering. Very good. I'm going to guess that depictions of heaven and hell are depicted very well. Um, Don't know. Never been there. Don't plan on going. Uh, But after Lyft, not a book that I was expecting. I was just like, okay, a lot of people are talking about this. Let me go pick it up. Wasn't what I expecting. Still enjoyed it a great deal. I'm giving it four out of five slices of meatloaf. So there you go. Uh, that's a Comixology original. You have to go to Comixology.com to pick that up. Matthew, you also have a comic book that came out last week. Now, uh, let me give everybody a little bit of heads up on this. The reason why Archie released Sabrina Something Wicked number one last week is because it was so far into production to the point where... Uh, Many of the comic book shops already had the book because they had specific variant covers for their store. And so Archie decided to go ahead and release this one last week. So there you go. Yeah. And it's a comic. It is a comic. Yeah. It's actually the first issue of a five-issue Sabrina miniseries, which rolls out of the last Sabrina mini, which... I don't think I read all of. I know I read the beginning, and I know I read the part where she was sort of kind of dating Archie. Uh, but this is not necessarily the Sabrina from Archie, nor is it necessarily the Sabrina from uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, which is sad because, you know, hey, Cthulhu is her ex-husband. So that's kind of fun. But it is uh, written by Kelly Thompson, drawn by Veronica Fish and Andy Fish, who I think are somehow related. Um, and it picks up sometime after the end of that last uh, run of Sabrina with a strange thing walking the streets of greendale now every time i hear greendale i wonder when the dean is going to burst in and make a joke uh so i'm getting that out of the way quickly but apparently sabrina actually does come from greendale which is near riverdale and she has a young friend who is apparently also a wendigo and so she's trying to use her powers as an apprentice witch to help her friend figure out how to stop being a wendigo uh so that's entertaining And there's a lot of, I don't want to say uh, CW Riverdale kind of drama, but there is a little bit of that teen drama back and forth. She worries about whether Harvey is mad at her because she's lying and making excuses. And the new kid in town, who is the brother of the girl who's secretly a Wendigo, wants to take her out. And she doesn't want to betray Harvey. And she's worried that her best friend hates her because she keeps canceling on their plans. And it's all really kind of charming, interesting stuff. And, of course, we do get some extended time with Aunt Hilda and Aunt Zelda, which is nice because I love Carolyn Ray. And uh, we actually find out a little bit more about what they were like when they were younger witches. And when Sabrina is trying to learn all of her witchy secrets without letting her aunties know exactly all of what's going on, it's kind of fascinating because the hints that we get are that maybe they know because they've been through this and she's just a dumb teenager who needs to stop being a weenie. But... That's also a really good theme to have in your teenager stories. You do get Salem the talking cat, who's kind of wonderful. And the issue ends with a shocking reveal. Sabrina sets out to try and figure out who, who put the curse on her friend to make her a Wendigo. And she follows 
her spell and is shocked, shocked, I tell you, to find secret secrets of secretness. Um, I'm actually going to be back for whenever the next issue comes out. I don't know if it's going to be any time soon, but I am going to definitely put a pin in this. This is a really strong issue. It's got a gorgeous cover, uh, slightly different art on the interiors. Veronica Fish does the cover alone, whereas the interiors are Veronica and Andy. But it's still a really good-looking book. It's an interesting story that draws me in. And, you know, I've been reading about Sabrina since I was like, I don't know, maybe six or seven years old. If you count the Archie TV shows, maybe younger than that. Four slices of meatloaf for Sabrina Something Wicked number one. Nice. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we get issue two. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we'll get sometime issue in the next two. two months. I'm sure we will get issue two. And if you're looking for some other comic book recommendations for when you're stuck at home, go over to Majorspoilers.com. Ashley, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, has a three part series on comics for him, comics for her, and comics for the young'uns who are stuck at home during this time period. And there might be a Sabrina the Teenage Witch uh, story <laughs> that uh, that pops up in there. You're going to have to go check it out over at Majorspoilers.com. Speaking of Ashley, Ashley, you've got a spooky book for us, a trade paperback that is uh, that is out. Or actually, it's coming out in a few months. We've It is uh, coming out in a few months, but in fairness, uh, it hasn't officially not been told that it's coming out. And also, all the single issues are out. Right. So. Um. And if you like things like Sabrina, I actually think Steven did like a really incredible segue for me. Uh, this would hit right in that same classic Sabrina tone where every once in a while, um, like with some of the Wendigo stuff in the Sabrina series, it gets like a little like, ooh, this is like almost scary, but you're <laughs> never going full on. Like there's never that much blood unless you cross over to Chilling Adventures. That is what Count Crowley, reluctant midnight monster hunter that's where it's going to hit you in your sweet spot. Uh, this book is written by Kansas native David Smallchin, who you may know as that guy from The Dark Knight who pretended to be Rachel Dawes slash that guy from Ant-Man. Uh, also, he's a really, really incredible actor. And I remember seeing him at San Diego Comic-Con last year dressed up as this character. You know, and and like everybody else who's a comic reader every time somebody who is uh, not a long and, and learned and, and dust trodden comics pro wants to come in and write a comic book. I get a little nervous about it, but I think he's a really interesting actor. And I said, I like vampires. Those will be great. And I read it. And this tells the story of a Midwestern news anchor who's inherited this position because her family used to own the station and she is an alcoholic and she gets fired from her job. And the only thing that her brother, the head of this small time studio will let her do is to host, uh, the late night horror movie show. And she comes out, uh, drunk and insults everyone and they love it. And so that's really, it's a really cute moment. She gets a breath of fresh air she gets to start down on a road to recovery. I found this detail to be really interesting in what is otherwise a fairly lighthearted story uh, because David Desmolchin has been really public about his battle with alcoholism and his sobriety. So I thought I thought that was interesting to include in this. And then she gets her little redemption. You know, her brother likes her again. She's found her place in the world and she's embraced this thing she thought she was going to be bad at. She's actually good at. And then we learn that there's actually monsters. And she's actually going to be the person to hunt the monsters and you might be saying to yourself at this point as ashley was saying to herself at this point oh boy this sure is a uh, screenplay that they're trying to sell <laughs> but 
in the vast slew of comic books that are intended to be sold or hoped to be sold, including my own, this is a really good one. Uh, Lucas Kettner, who's not an artist that I'm super familiar with, uh, draws a very, very charming world. And at some of the heightened moments, it feels very painterly and very throwback-y to some of the horror comics of the 1980s when this is set. I think the first issue really takes its time setting up the rules of the world. So it's a little bit slow. And then uh, issues two, three, and four are where this really, really gets going. But I think this book is so fun, so charming. Uh, They're supposed to be a volume two, but I mean, uh, to echo Matthew's sentiment, Lord only knows when that's going to be happening. And if people are looking for something that's not capes and tights, I think this is a great alternative. And I know everybody is looking for uplifting things right now. And even though this is set against the background of monsters, it really is about finding yourself and embracing your weird. And that's something that nerds all like. So I'm going to give it 3.5 slices of meatloaf out of five. I liked this a lot. And I hope the trade comes out someday. There you go. All right. Uh, I know many of you are out there playing Animal Crossing on your Switch, but there's still a lot of other video games that you could probably be checking out. Rodrigo has been playing Persona 5 Royal. What's going on with that, Rodrigo? Yeah, Persona 5 Royal is a um, new version of Persona 5, which came out, I want to say, in 2017. I didn't play Persona 5 when it came out. Um, so, uh, after much, uh, after a lot of recommendations and or nagging from some of my friends who are like, this is up your alley, man. You keep talking about games like this, play this. So I started playing it and, uh, they're right. It's a turn-based RPG. So already there, you got me. It's a turn-based RPG that isn't set in a medieval setting. So that's nice too. Um, uh, in fact, the setting is uh, modern-day Tokyo, and you play these uh, totally rad teenagers who have the ability to enter the minds of certain people uh, with usually the goal of changing terrible, actively abusive adults into good people, which is a concept. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, it's it's very interesting. The the main issues that I've had with the game are really twofold. One, it starts out incredibly slow and it kills a lot of time. There's a lot of treatment of the characters and what they're doing and what they're feeling, a lot of conversations, um, a lot of repetition, which I think is there to make sure that you get what the characters are saying and you don't accidentally skip a line of text that is like, by the way, I'm very anxious about this. And then later on, the character tells you exactly the same thing again, maybe in slightly different words. You know, I know, I kind of know why that's there. Um, But it starts off very slow and actually was pretty frustrating uh, in a lot of ways where you just kind of want the narrative to advance. And other games would have advanced the narrative by now. But this game is like, no, we need to get you used to the fact that the way that you play this game is by making incremental advances into the dungeon that you're going to, then going home, doing chores, and then maybe going back into the dungeon the next day, but maybe not. Maybe you go out and you eat a giant burger and hope that it enhances your stats, and that's all you do all day. <laughs> so it, it it's good because the game tries to get you into that mindset, but it's frustrating because that's a weird mindset. 
Um, the other issue that it has is that um, it's kind of problematic. Uh, if you guys uh, remember that first Transformers movie, this is like the, the easiest example that I can think of. Um, From 86, you, you got the touch, you got the power? No, I'm sorry. The uh, uh, the first Michael Bay Transformers movie. Oh. Um, if you... It's like everybody everybody thinks Megan Fox is hot and that's great. And it's like, but if you like, don't look at the screen and you just listen to uh, Michaela's dialogue is like, she sounds like a smart, capable person. But when you look back at it, uh, the, the camera is just like hovering around her midriff at all times, you know, and like looking at her from like down angles and stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of mm -hmm. what happens to one of the characters mm -hmm. in this game. Um, is like she's like smart and cool and stuff, but she's like constantly being ogled even by like the other members of the party and put into these situations and just like into positions and, and camera angles and stuff where like it's very incongruous why this like very normal teenager keeps uh, happening or keeps being put in these situations. And furthermore, when she gets her like magical powers and her cool costume, it also doesn't make sense because it's pretty clearly meant to be sexy rather than an expression of who she is. And so far, she's the only character I've encountered where that feels like a thing. Every other character gets like very expressive, uh, basically super cool costumes to go with it. So that out of the way, the game is a lot of fun. You have to get yourself into this mindset that you're going to get huge chunks of story in between action pieces and then when you do have action pieces, there are going to be times when you run out of resources and you have to stop the action in the middle and go back home and like brew some coffee at the coffee shop that you live under or above. Um, and that's that's going to be what you do for the day. It's it's interesting. It's a it's a weird uh, it's a weird setup, but it's an interesting setup. Uh, I'm enjoying it, and um, I think other people that are into uh, story-heavy uh, turn-based RPGs will en enjoy it as well. I think if you, I think there's a lot of uh, previous Persona games in Fire Emblem Three Houses, so if you enjoyed that, um, you might enjoy this as well. It definitely has a calendar system that is reminiscent. Um, I can't tell you much about what's new in this game because I didn't play the original. I know that some of the dungeons have been re revamped, some new stuff has been added to combat, and there's like a whole extra chunk of game that has been added, but I couldn't tell you what it is or where it lands because I didn't play the original. Um, I'm going to give it four slices of meatloaf out of five. Uh, I, I'll, I'll point out also that this game is like just incredibly stylish. Like everything from the way the characters look to the menus to um, individual pieces of sort of iconography are really fantastic and show like this very unusual uh, design ideas. Um, also, there's fully animated, just anime scenes, and enough of them that if you put it together, it's probably like a full-on 45 episode or 45 uh, minute episode of an actual anime. So there's that as well. There you go. Uh, very strange game. Enjoying it. Go check it out. There you go. All right. Thank you, Ashley and Rodrigo and Matthew, for those reviews. And listeners, if you are looking for more reviews or even just all sorts of really good content, 
you need to head over to Majorspoilers.com and check out all the new stuff we've got going up every single day of the week. I guarantee you're going to find something that you love, you're going to find something that you like, you're going to find something that you hate, and you're going to find something that informs you, because that's what uh, apparently pop culture and comic books are all about. Oh, wait a minute, what am I getting right here? Oh no, it is a surprise Major Spoilers poll of the week. <gasps> what? What? Oh my gosh. All right, so earlier in this episode... We were talking about the DC Comics uh, complete collection up until 2014 is up on the auction block. And someone just handed me this major spoilers poll of the week. It's a bulletin. It is a bulletin. I mean, you never know what you're going to get of the major spoilers podcast. You think you know, but you really have no idea. Yeah. The question is. It's a rash, but. The question is, would you rather have all of the DC Comics, all of the Marvel Comics, or all of the Dark Horse comics. Ashley, we're going to start with you. We're not talking about you have to auction, you know, had to bid on them, and you have to, uh, to pony up the money. We're just saying, of those three, which one would you rather have the complete collection of, and why? Well, I might be showing my hand with this reference, but my inner Larflees is disappointed I can't have all three of them. Mm. I would definitely go DC and that is strictly colored by my all abiding love for the character Robin and being able to have access to some of those early issues. And of course there's reprints and I'm not somebody who is necessarily a sucker for first printing, but if it were no great hardship, those would be incredible things to own. Uh, And I read books from every publisher Mm -hmm. and I, reviewed books from every publisher i think um but dc is just the one that's characters are nearest and dearest to my heart so that's why just completely personal bias yeah no, I, want all, I, I want all the robin comics no i totally agree it. with you i would totally go i would totally go for all of the dc comics i think uh mainly because of love of specific characters batman superman the flash uh but i would be really tempted I would be really tempted by a complete run of Marvel stuff just so I can go back and read it and become familiar with it and be able to start with number one and, and work my way through the entirety of a, of a, of, of everything, you know, not, not having a lot of familiarity with Marvel. This would give me a chance to read a lot of stuff. Now, granted, you can get a lot of this stuff now, but um, I think with the rise of Disney and Marvel in particular, I think there might be a little bit more cachet with, the complete run of Marvel, but I would still put all my money right there on the DC comics block. Rodrigo, what about you? Um, I think if, if my, uh, if I had gotten the collection with the intent of like selling it later, I would probably mm-hmm. go with DC or Marvel. Um, but if it was just to have and to read, I'd probably go with Dark Horse because that I feel like that's gonna give me the greatest variety of things, including I mean, depends what you mean what what it means is like is it only single issues? Because Dark Horse also puts out Marvel collections. Yeah, this so, would be the the single issues. This wouldn't be the issues, trade this okay. wouldn't be the trade collections. I mean, I I think I'd I'd probably go with Dark Horse uh, just because it would give probably the most varied reading experience. Oh yeah. You got all the movie Um, properties, you got all the star Wars, you got the Hellboy. Yep. Um, I think probably a big chunk of Usagi Yojimbo. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, just 
lots of different stuff. Uh, you know, Resident Alien. Um, a lot of my faves are in Dark Horse. So, um, and again, you know, a, a probably a healthy curated amount of capes and tights, um, <laughs> but also a lot of other stuff. So I'd probably yeah. go with Dark Horse. All right, Matthew, down to you. Which one? Which ones do you go with? It's not necessarily as difficult a conundrum as it could have been. Uh, because Dark Horse is going to have a lot of good stuff, but it's not really going to be the stuff that I'm going to be wanting to read over and over and over. And Marvel does have a lot of good stuff, but Marvel also has a huge lacuna from about 1949 to about 1961, where it's like, oh, look, here's a bunch of Millie the Model comics, or you know, here's something where even I don't know what it is called Showgirls, and yet that would be part of the collection. Whereas you know, if you get all the DC comics, you could go back and you could read issue through issue and watch the Sandman's comic, you know, his costume change every issue. You'd have all of the issues of the Legion of Superheroes. You'd have Young Heroes in Love, perhaps the greatest comic ever created. You would have stuff that I feel like I would want, things that I would be totally into, the JLA, JSA crossovers, you know, all of the stuff that you would get, I feel like it would be a more complete reading experience. And even though... Um, when Steven says, I want to read something from issue one and all the way through and have it make sense, that doesn't ever happen with any comic ever. Um, I've read X-Men from issue one. It doesn't make sense from issue to issue. But well, That's because you have to get all the other tie-in comics. No, it's, it's because they were... X-Men. I mean, in defense well of X-Men. <laughs> For a long time, they were just silly and, and awful. But whereas if you were trying to do that, and if you really wanted to go through and do that and, you know go through the era where things suddenly changed and oh my god superman is the most powerful thing in the world oh my god he's fighting zardoz oh wait now he's not the most powerful thing in the world it would be fun to go through and do that and dc's continuous publishing history from 1936 to present i think would be the most um elucidating the most entertaining the one where i would have the most time to just sit there and dig and go ooh, navy seals you know, you could read the dingbats of Danger Street and be like, well, it's part of the collection. I have to read it and not feel bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen, your major spoilers poll of the week. Wait, now wait, what you wait, need wait, to do wait, is wait, head wait, over wait, to wait, our wait. Discord server and let us know which collection you would like to have. Sadly, this week, or no, yeah, no, sadly, this week sadly. was supposed to be the release of the new James Bond movie. Dun, 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 dun. In fact, there's a lot of podcasters, Ashley, I hear who had planned on doing a bunch of James Bond stuff this week, but had to push it because the movie got pushed. Yeah, there's some who have a whole James Bond month planned and recorded. (laughs) Oh, man. That must be awful. In fact, Matthew and I sat down at the end of 2019 and said, hey, let's pick some books. Hey, there's a James Bond Mm -hmm. thing coming out. Maybe Mm -hmm. we should review a James Bond book. And so we were like, okay, yeah, James Bond. Let's do the Greg Pack and Mark Lamming book, the one that has the odd job in it and uh, let's do that because that'll be perfect for this upcoming James Bond movie and then of course no James Bond movie but we're still going to review James Bond 007 The Odd Job Volume 1 from uh, Dynamite Entertainment by the way if anyone is looking for a very uh, salient and up to date breakdown of what it's like to be a comic book artist in these trying times recommend Mark Laming's uh, Twitter a lot for that I find him very illuminating and very honest okay so also he rocks <laughs> part of the part of my understanding is some of those people who may have been prepping and recording 
an entire month's worth of James Bond podcasts, mm-hmm. uh, probably had to watch every James Bond movie ever. For the first time in their lives. For the first time in their lives. And mm-hmm. Ashley, I, under, I understand, apropos of nothing, that uh, <laughs> you recently sat down and watched every James Bond movie ever made. Uh, that, we didn't watch Octopussy. Oh, you didn't? Why not? Uh, because Jason says I am not going to watch that piece of crap again. Oh, man, it is pretty bad. I actually <laughs> so, had... Was it Marvel that did... Sorry if anyone loves that movie, but he was the one curating the watch through. <laughs> I, was it Marvel that did the comic book, book adaptation of that one, Matthew? Yes. That, that was the one that I was able to get as a kid. Oh, boy. And read during one of our summer trips. And, uh, boy, I had to hear it from my mom and dad each time. Dad, I can't believe we paid that much money for a comic book. And my mom going, I don't know if you should be reading that. Uh, but I it mean, was, fair. You know. the, name is, uh, the name is troubling. Uh, the, why, the, why are your parents the Flintstones? I <laughs> No, my dad never I'm said confused. Yapple Dapple. Let me, let me tell you that. Um, but... <laughs> that was Baboon! <laughs> what is wrong with you? That's same a completely voice. different Hanna-Barbera property. Same voice. Same voice. Uh, but I'm curious, no! actually, after you have watched every movie, save Octopussy, which is good, because, you know, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, the Octopussy comic book adaptation is much better than the movie. Oh, I didn't see Moonraker either, because like the X-Men, James Bond should not go to space. Yeah, that one's also okay. No, but I'm curious, what Moonraker is your favorite... Is good. What is your favorite James Bond movie, Ashley? Uh... I like sad boys, so it's definitely a uh, Skyfall. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Sad, sad boy with cute Ben Wisha as his boyfriend. That is my ideal James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Honor Majesty's Secret Service. That's my favorite one of all time. But uh, mm-hmm. I believe when you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago on Finally Friday, uh, Skyfall is my number two. Uh, I really like that one. And then Casino Royale uh, yes. would be my top three James Bond movies um, of all time, even though I do like... I do like uh, Goldeneye. No, not Goldeneye. Goldeneye. No, uh, gold, uh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger, yes. Is uh, is amazing and is iconic, I think, from Russia with Love. Mm-hmm. is so good if you're looking for a more traditional spy movie. Also, uh, you can fight me on Twitter all you want. The Living Daylights rocks. <laughs> yeah, it does. Living Daylights is good. I'm also a fan of the uh, Murakami Wolf Swenson James Bond Jr. animated series from 87, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, where James Bond's nephew who by the way is junior it is clear that james bond left some woman with child and she never explained to him why she he's james bond jr and he's walking around the world voiced by Corey burton going hey uncle james taught me all there is to know and i'm just like you poor sad son of a but nonetheless yes it's a wonderful i feel I feel bad that I don't know the answer to this because I, I am friends with this lovely creator, but isn't there a Mark and Draco comic that's all about James Bond's children, but it's not, you know, it's not James Bond, but it's like James Bond light. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know. Rodrigo, do you, do you have a favorite Bond movie? Um, probably It's probably Casino Royale uh, yeah. because I find it incredibly hard to pay attention to what's happening in on movies mm. just so so difficult i can't and i can never that? follow it i don't know i think i'm kind of not interested um mm. and i think it's because it just kind of straddles that like realism and sci-fi mm-hmm. genre in a way that i don't like so i feel like casino royale was like a deliberate like pull away from a lot of like the sci-fi aspects mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Plus, so it's Marty like, Feldman is amazing. 
Um, so it, it just kind of, it's a little bit more grounded. Here. And I feel like from there, they've been picking up more sci-fi stuff in the uh, Daniel Craig uh, Bond movies some more. So I was like, eh, I just kind of never, I don't, there's at least one that I've never seen. I don't think I've seen Spectre. You probably haven't seen. Um, you don't have to see Spectre. You probably haven't Spectre. seen Quantum of Solace. I, I'm, you don't have to see that one either. Every other Daniel Craig one is good. Yeah. So No Time to Die is going to be excellent. Yeah, it better be, man. Uh, Matthew, beyond the James Bond juniors, do you have a favorite uh, James Bond movie? Uh, probably either Man with the Golden Gun or the uh, creepy, wild and crazy 67 Casino Royale with David yeah, Niven with and Woody all Allen. of those. Or not Woody yeah, Allen. Peter, yeah, Woody Allen is Peter Allen, Sellers. Right? Yeah, Woody yeah. Allen's as Dr. Noah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 that one I love just oh, because I mean, it's nuts. I do like Doctor No, but man, that's so racist. Is also Jewish, I believe, of yeah. Jewish extraction. Because yeah. yeah, I remember yeah. googling to figure out if there were any actual uh, Asian people in that, and there's not. Orson <laughs> Welles is in that. Charles Boyer, William Holden, just a a bunch of people that you're like, hey, it's that guy, and you, yeah, it's 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 fine. Well, Plus, it's, it's also got Ursula Andress. Ah, uh, the, right? the reason that bikinis are popular. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. So it's interesting that we do uh, ask this question uh, because this week's James Bond 007 is a James Bond story, but is a modern James Bond, but relying heavily on Goldfinger and yeah. the character of Oddjob, an updated version of Oddjob as Favorite. part of this story. And Ashley, why don't you run us through what this first volume is, is about and what, what happens in this first volume? So before we start, uh, Harold Sakata, who played Oddjob in the movie, is mm -hmm. iconic and was a professional wrestler, which is the only reason why his fights are halfway good, because so many of those really James Bond fights are just Sean Connery punching people straight in the head. Yeah. Uh, he's legendary and I love him and I uh, love that they would not let him speak a single word of dialogue in the movie. And you can tell that Greg Pop has a similar love and respect for Mr. Sakata because this whole drama centers around the idea that there is a new odd job. And what does that mean? And Mark Laming, I think, does an excellent job at playing on some of odd jobs, more iconic aesthetic aspects. So Bond is out on a mission and you see all of these shots of like a bowler hat kind of flying through the sky or being picked up and put on by this new character who's been introduced. And what does that mean? And oh, oh, oh. and so <laughs> as Bond is chasing this Russian dude, because of course he meets um, a Korean operative named John Lee, which I think is a good name because it sounds like a Korean version of James Bond. Mm -hmm. They are going after the same Russian because, of course, they are similarly rakish, have a similar set of skills. But what is unique about Mr. Lee is that using some version of sonar, which I don't understand, they were able to detect that he has the exact same fighting style as Oddjob did, but better, meaning that he is a better fighter than James Bond. And the drama of the piece centers around whether or not John Lee and James Bond can and should team up or not, and whether or not England and South Korea are working on the same side to the same end or not. And I think that might sound relatively simple compared to some of the other uh, comic James Bonds, 
but I really liked it. Yeah, there's also this thing about a hit woman who is uh, in charge of what's this organization's name? Oh, it's I not Spectre. Uh, Oru. Oru, right. I and, forgot about her. And so there's Pretty. this there's this golden dragon that has been stolen, and Goldfinger or a new Goldfinger uh, shows up in this piece. And in fact, the original Odd Job does get a cameo in, yeah. in this as well because they're saying, "Oh, there was this other Odd Job," and so uh, they drew him uh, very very well. Mark Lamming did in this piece, which I liked. Uh, but then it turns out that uh, Oru has these, uh, like these assassins or soldiers or whoever that they're controlling Foot from, soldiers, yeah. from uh, brain implants, which uh, bring dopamine hits to people. And so they have this, this whole slave nation of, of, of assassins and soldiers that will work for them. And, and they think that this uh, case is going to have a nuclear bomb, but really it has a golden dragon. And then Mr. Lee is uh, convinced that his, one of his old comrades that was in the South Korean um, Secret Service or whatever they're calling them, the Blue I think they called them the Blue House. Yeah, yeah. Blue House um, is part of this organization, and he's convinced that he can bring her back. And so at times, James Bond is like, yeah, okay, I will help you. But then, unfortunately, this volume ends. And I was just like, yeah. no, no. So I'm curious, Rodrigo, because you said that it's hard to follow the James Bond storylines, I know where you're coming from in that because of all the different locations and the different kind of little bits of information that James Bond is trying to get out of this. Did you have that same experience reading this first volume? A little bit, because I, I think that a lot of terms in all of James Bond media, a lot of terms get thrown around. And I'm like, I don't know what these like international organizations are a lot of the time. Um, and, and which of them are made up because mm -hmm. sometimes the stuff is just like straight up made up, right? Um, I had I had less less of that in this because I could just go back and reread portions and kind of follow along a little bit easier. And honestly, this the the plot of this is a lot more straightforward than some other James Bond stuff. Oh, okay. So did you enjoy this story then? I did. I think my main source of enjoyment is that uh, Lee kind of occupies the space that would normally be reserved for a bond girl. Mm, okay. Explain. Um, I, I kind of, I, I feel that there's a, a few different types of, of bond girl. Uh, there's the, uh, she's, she works for a friendly government. Uh, there's the, she's just kind of a, a pawn in the villain scheme. And then there's the she's actually a dangerous enemy operative uh, type of Bond girl. And those tend to be the most interesting ones because obviously there's an attraction, but they're working towards, you know, the same goal in the sense that they want to keep each other from accomplishing that same goal. And in this one is just like an absolute bromance between um, James Bond and Oddjob the whole way. Mm -hmm. uh, they and the new Oddjob. So right. they're constantly. Uh, distracting each other from their goal like there are moments in which like if if one or the other one just like made a sprint for the for the mcguffin like they would get it but instead they just stop to like i don't know fight flirt um to, to just kind of have like their own thing and like they're constantly telling like uh mi6 right that's the right that's organization. James Bond's. Yep. Mm -hmm. they're just constantly telling him is like bond you gotta just like forget about this guy and focus on getting the thing and bond is like no i want to keep messing with this character because he's like the most interesting one in this whole comic okay 
and like you get the same thing from the other one and you know there are moments in which one gets the upper hand and moments in which the other gets the upper hand and they could just kill each other but then they don't Mm -hmm. so it's again i feel that normally this place would be occupied by a woman and i'm very interested in the fact that it's not so that um kind of made this book a lot more interesting than a normal James Bond book would do for me. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on that because I've kind of felt the same thing, that there was some kind of weird bromance thing going on with these two, even though they're supposed to be enemies, question mark. But you're right. I will point to the line in Skyfall where Javier Bardem is interrogating James and comes on to him and says, your first time. And James Bond says, what makes you think this would be my first time? Yep, there you go. (laughs) And also uh, there are no female romance uh, quickies in this in this book. Yes, there's Thank Money Penny that shows goodness. up, and there's or- Oru who is there, but there is not a you know there's not a uh, you know there's not a pussy galore. Speaking of uh, Honor Blackman, uh, just passed away. Uh, uh, R.I.P. Iconic, a legend. Yeah, um, arguably the best James Bond girl. Yep, definitely. And so you don't have you don't have that type of character in this book yet. So I, I'm, I'm probably uh, kind of leaning into your, your thought process on this one, Rodrigo. Matthew, what are your thoughts on, on this book? I like it for one big reason, and I'm incredibly distracted for one even bigger reason. And the reason I like it is um, this, the dynamite James Bond, actually, I think is much closer to the novel Bond, the actual, you know, Ian Fleming novels. Correct. But if you go back and read Goldfinger, first of all, uh, Goldfinger was written in 1959, a time when casual racism was, um, let's call it a doily on every single seat in the house. The movie has a lot of that, too. Yeah, the movie does, but it's even worse in the novel, because if you go to the novel, the reason he's called Oddjob is because Goldfinger didn't want to learn his name and called him Oddjob because that's what he does for him. And the character of Oddjob, especially in that novel, is very much a yellow peril archetype and, you know, pretty offensive in modern parlance. And it's really great to see the Oddjob mantle or mythos or God have you, whatever you want to call it, the Oddjob character being kind of reimagined through Mr. Lee, a character who is every bit James Bond's equal and clearly in story better at some things than Bond himself. Taking that character, taking that odd job mystique and applying it to a character who is just as good, just as roguish, just as awesome as Bond himself. And keep in mind, Greg Pak is a Korean creator. Odd job is a Korean character. I don't think that that is in any way a coincidence that that Mr. Lee becomes part of the focus here. No, Greg Pak is great about that in his stories. And when you see what they do and how much I appreciate Mr. Lee throughout this story. I like Mr. Lee more than Bond uh, for a couple of reasons. And I really like the way we get this reimagining of things. I like the reveal that Oru is secretly run by Auric Goldfinger. I like the way the bits and pieces of, you know, Bond ephemera and, and Bond uh, su- supporting characters pop up. My thought throughout this was that Mr. Lee was acting in the Felix Leiter role where he's, you know, Mm. the agent from Mm -hmm. the other agency who's Mm. there and they have kind of a rivalry going. That would be the guy that uh, M meets uh, at the uh, cafe. That would be be that guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
And I, you know, I like the recasting of the Money Penny and the M characters. I like the way that all of these characters look very modern and are very clearly Bond characters. And the one thing that I cannot get past, cannot get past it, is that this James Bond is a dead ringer for Sterling Archer. Hmm. Yes, I thought that the whole time. I don't, Every time. I don't mind it. Every time that. Bond is on screen, I all I hear is John Benjamin going, shaken, not stirred. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I, I love Archer, and I feel like Archer is definitely playing with the same toys and tropes that yes. we see here. But it is, you know, this is not a Sean Connery. This is not a Roger Moore. This is not a George Lazenby. This is not, you know, a Marty Feldman. This is nobody that you know who's ever played Bond before. And that's great. But it also really, really has just that edge of it, it was distracting enough for me to remember that this is an actual James Bond story and not a pastiche or a parody or, you know, a quasi tribute. Right. Because the main character literally looks and dresses and sometimes talks like Archer. And I just when Money Penny shows up. She has the voice of Aisha Tyler for me. Mm. I don't know if that's good. I don't know if it's bad, but it was well, incredibly distracting for me. Well, I will say this. Uh, you know, Dynamite has this license with the uh, Ian Fleming estate to do these things. So I'm sure that there is a lot of back and forth going on about what they can and can't do. And so yeah. when you say that this reminds you of, you know, the way that traditionally Bond was written in the books, you're probably right, because there was probably some of those stipulations put into the um, into the contract about how they're supposed to portray Bond. At the same time, it's also very weird because in the movies, Money Penny is played by a person of color. And so they kind of bring AOB that. Harris. Yeah. And I think she's really good. I liked her in the, what was the last, uh, was it Skyfall was the last one? Spectre no. was the last one. Spectre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I really liked her in that. Um, so it's weird that we have a new odd job, but is this Goldfinger supposed to be the Goldfinger or... Or not, because it's really weird how they're just mixing and throwing in mm -hmm. movie stuff, book stuff, things that could be in, in continuity or not continuity or whatever it may be. Um, right. So I like this because it is a very good reimagining of what James Bond is and what he can be and what he could do. But at the same time, for those people who are fans of or people who are fans of Archer... There's a lot of stuff to distract you going, oh, wait, okay, you're referencing a movie character, but then this other guy who supposedly got, you know, covered in gold, isn't that, isn't that how uh, our Goldfinger died? Was it covered in gold, or am I thinking of somebody else? Am I thinking of yeah, uh, Scaramanga? Goldfinger was, so, was blown out of the plane. Oh, that's right. Uh, yeah. You're thinking so, of Daenerys' brother. <laughs> right. Who got the gold crown. <laughs> yeah, so it, when I started, I don't know much about James Bond, but my assumption, as soon as they were like, ah, this other agent fought uh, a man named Oddjob, and he looked exactly like the mm -hmm. movie Oddjob. Mm -hmm. I, I just assumed this is a different universe. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like a. It's kind of like with Casino Royale, how they. It was like a weird soft reboot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. So this is actually seems like a much harder reboot, right? Yeah. Where they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. they're like, yes, some of the some of the characters that you remember are still around. Some of them are now part of the JSA, so they fought in World War II. <laughs> This yeah, might and, be the apologist in me just because I really like James Bond, but 
it's isn't it sort of very canon accurate to this character in this universe that you're like, what is the timeline? Who is she? Right. I don't know her. Oh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. if you try to make any kind of continuity out of anything, honestly, past a single actor's portrayal of this role, it gets a little yeah. little tricky. That's, that's why I and go even, with that's why I go with the uh, 007 is just a. Uh, agent number, not a person, right? So I, you can I have... asked that question on Twitter, and people got really, really uh, up in people, arms about their respective beliefs. <laughs> heated about that, and the, the yeah. part of the thing that you look into, if you watch the Connery Bond movies, they don't have continuity within them. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, each James Bond experience is kind of a discrete James Bond thing, right? Right. Which is why you know I can tell you that my touchstone of James Bond Junior. still works with this story. I mean, it's not necessarily the same thing, but it is the same sort of tone. It's the same trappings, the same set dressing, if you will. And if you're taking whatever James Bond you appreciate, whatever James Bond you love, be you you know, an apologist for the movies or someone who's totally into the Ian Fleming novels, who prefers a brutal, murderous, rapist, sexist, you know, racist jerk Bond from the 1950s, that's not not here. You know, it's not something that you can ever look at this and say that any Bond is non-canonical here because this could be Roger Moore. This could be George Lazenby. This could be the James Bond that you read, you know, in other comics from other companies. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the strength for it. But again, the same thing that comes into play with my Archer comparison, that's also the weakness of it because it doesn't necessarily feel like a fully realized, new, different, wacky James Bond, it really feels like kind of James Bond's greatest hits. Yeah, and that's, a little bit. that's not bad. No, this is, this is a very enjoyable story. Especially when you comic adaptation. So I guess my next question is, when it comes to trade paperbacks, how do you guys prefer your trade paperbacks? Do you prefer them, give me six issues at a time and collect them, even if that means I have to buy multiple trades to get the story? Or do you like, give me the full story in one trade, doesn't matter if it is... 12 issues of Watchmen or 65 issues of Hellboy or whatever it is. How do you guys, Rodrigo, how do you prefer your trade paperback collection? I guess I'm, I'm okay either way. As long as I know going in that, you know, the, a a six issue collection or a 12 issue collection or however long is just the first arc. As long as I'm aware of that going in and I don't get to the end, like I did with this and I'm like, what? Yeah. Uh, A cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, it's okay. Which, of course, this was a, um, you know, this was a, a review copy. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't upset about that. It was like, a, you know, I, I didn't go out looking for James Bond to read. <laughs> we read it for the podcast. Right. So I was like, oh, a cliffhanger. Well, that's not a big deal. But I guess if I was and I didn't know going in and you don't want to skip to the last uh to, to the last panel to see like, oh, is there going to be a cliffhanger? Because you'll totally spoil yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in general, I don't mind, I don't mind, you know, buying two separate trades, um, if that, that have one story arc, as long as I have both trades. Right. Right. Uh, Matthew, what about you? I, I, I'm kind of torn on this because the comic reading part of me, the part that really desires a beginning, middle and end to a story would say whatever size trade paperback makes sense but the part of me that recently moved and had to you know pack up my trade paperbacks and hardcovers and books is like give me a book that's small enough to where i can read it to where it's comfortable in your hand you have storage for it 
I mean, if you look at like Sandman, nine volumes of Sandman, they're not all the same length, mm. but they're all a manageable length. So they're not all six issues, but they're all an arc. And you go through and you say, okay, I can sit down and I can read this trade paperback. This is volume eight. It's a story unto itself. But you also get to a point where 12 or 16 or, you know, God help you, 20 issues. That's just too big. So, uh, yeah, it could be. It's, it's too heavy. It's unwieldy. It's it's terrible. So. Ashley, uh, to you. Yeah, I think I come up against a strength issue a lot of the time. So I've been reading a lot of Jeff Johns' JSA right now, and we own those in their giant omnibus forms, mm -hmm. and they look great on the shelf, but I literally cannot read them unless I am laying on my stomach like a 12-year-old at a slumber party because they will crush <laughs> my rib cage yeah. and then subsequently kill me. I'm also reading Battle Royale right now, so I have all this horrible imagery <laughs> in my mind. Um, so, but, but as a... And this might just be like the uh, crotchety writer in me, but I'm like, give me a full story arc or give me death. Yeah, so. and that's, that's kind of the reason why <laughs> I, I wanted to talk into this because, yes, yeah. I don't think I want... 90s or what is the legion um omnibus editions that they have those are like 50 issues or something in each one i don't yeah. necessarily need that but when i get to the end of this and i'm like oh man there's like one issue left uh this is going to be full of action so they can rescue this girl and you get to the end and it's like no there's more story coming and i was just like ah i want them to release this as a complete story in one trade so i can get get the complete story and that was the I, biggest disappointment of this volume i will say with this collection it did feel a bit arbitrary because they could have very easily printed the whole collection um you know and, and these james bond series that we've had for a couple years now uh you know they're kind of a one and done right like the great machine comes mm -hmm. in they tell one maybe two stories and then we roll on to the next one just like right. the movies which is what's been really cool about them right. and then if you don't like one universe you just kind of wait a couple months and you get a new creative team and like oh dope now i'm back on this mm -hmm. um so with this one it it this to me feels like uh, somebody sitting in the office trying to make as much money off of a james bond as a property and, as possible and I can, which I can is understand a totally valid totally valid thing to do it bothers me a little more um you know, back in my day, comics used to come, uh, trades used to be six issues. Mm -hmm. And then Marvel said, well, let's do five. And mm -hmm. then Marvel said, well, let's do four. And then uh, smaller companies or independent creators who are, you know, robbing Peter to pay Paul, as we discussed heavily uh, in the pre-show and at the beginning of th this show, said, oh, expletive you can get away with a 90 page trade you can get away with an 80 page ogn and yes you can but in in terms like this where it's open-ended i think ultimately it's frustrating and i i don't know because i don't know the numbers and uh i'm gonna read the next story anyway so like ultimately they've won in my opinion doesn't matter um I don't know if this turns off more people than it invites in. You know, that would be an interesting, uh, it'd be an interesting thing to sort of examine. Yeah. And the reason why this really felt like, and I understand because I'm, I was trying to look and see what the price was on this uh, collection. I want to say it's like $14.95 for the trade. I think uh, some of these publishers mark down a six issue series quite a bit. Um, and so I can understand that if you, if you had the 12, uh, the 12 issue book, 
then people may not be willing to pay the thirty nine ninety nine or whatever that they're doing. Yeah, yeah. But you can get people to go, well, I can 14 bucks, sure, I'll do two $14 issues without realizing that they're basically paying the same amount or maybe a little bit more uh, yeah. in that in that situation. So I can understand that. And, you know, it's part of part of the whole way the market market works and capitalism, yay, all that good stuff. Um, but at the same time, I th- really think that if someone wanted to read James Bond and I wanted to give my dad a gift to say, hey, dad, you love James Bond. Here's a James Bond comic book that uh, kind of has some of your favorite themes and some of your favorite uh, type people in here. I think you'd really dig it. I would rather give him the single volume rather than, oh, here's one. And next Christmas, I'll give you the other one mm-hmm. because I don't think he would stick around for that. And I think a lot of people wouldn't stick around for that, which is unfortunate. So that is my biggest gripe in this entire book is that it's not a 12 issue or a complete story arc. I don't remember how many stories this is. I hope the next volume isn't like four issues or something. And um, if this is your biggest gripe, that's pretty good because that's a production problem. That's not yeah. a creative team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I think Greg pack or Pac, uh really does a wonderful job writing. I have enjoyed his work for a while now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, lambing, same thing. I, I can't really complain too much about either of these things. Uh, Rodrigo, did you have any major, major gripes? No, not really. Matthew, what about you? It's pretty solid. I mean, there were times where I was just like, man, this James Bond thing is not my cup of tea, but that didn't have anything to do with the creators doing what they were doing. And I feel like, especially the reimagining stuff mm-hmm. around Odd Job, really well done. Yeah. All right. Uh, as we wrap up this week's issue of the Major Spoilers podcast, Ashley, give me some final words on James Bond 007. The Odd Job. If you have any interest in James Bond or an Odd Job or in the movie Goldfinger, I think this is really incredible. I think it does a good job uh, apologizing for some troubling history that the creators were not involved in. And it elevates uh, a character who was done a little bit dirty, got picked up and elevated by a really cool performance in the movie and, you know, kind of gives him his due. And I just think this book is great. I liked it a lot. Can't wait to read the next arc and see how it wraps up. But if James Bond is not your jam, you're probably, this is not going to convince you. So it is for the the Bond fan in you or in your life. All right, Matthew, final thoughts from you, please. I feel that this is very good James Bond. Probably as good as you had since 63. All right. And Rodrigo, final thoughts from you. Uh, James Bond is, in fact, not my jam, but I found this enjoyable. <laughs> it's light enough and also uh, retains the majority of the tropes without uh, without doing too many like nods and winks. There's some nods and winks in here, but they're not annoying to someone who can perceive them but doesn't know what they're nodding and winking to. Mm-hmm. So I, I would I would definitely say if you're interested in getting into James Bond, this is actually not a terrible way to do it if you're already into reading comics. Yeah. I really I really enjoyed this book a lot. I'm a I'm a James Bond fan. Um and so I enjoyed this book immensely. I would like to see a volume two, but in fact, here's what I think we're gonna do. How about we we do volume two when the James next James Bond movie finally comes out. When we actually <laughs> get the James Bond movie with the Love Boat font. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we'll actually when do that. When there's no time to die. Yes, exactly. Next week on the Major Spoilers podcast, we're going to go on some other crazy adventures, which will also be a follow-up to the last time that we looked into the world of Tintin. 
as we go look for Red Rackham's treasure Ooh. on the Major Spoilers podcast. I'm you sure there's not going to be problematic. <laughs> say, I'm sure there's no problems with that book. <laughs> no. That wraps it up for this week's issue. Thank you for being part of the Major Spoilers experience. As always, we love to hear your feedback, so use the comment section at Major Spoilers to share your thoughts and reactions to this and every episode. Or even better, send us an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. And don't forget, you can support this show and everything we do by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash Majorspoilers. We will be back next week because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. Stop talking about comic books or I'll kill you. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.